Well, Jonathan, uh, this has been a long time coming. It has. Yeah, I don't know what it was, but were you feeling a little bit of like the drag on like uh, getting back, like back to school and then back to podcasting, but then back to podcasting was like, ugh. Oh, yeah. It's the beginning of the semester and everything, you were trying to get everything ready. And even though this is a fun thing that we like to do, it's like, well, it's just another thing. It is another thing. It's another thing on my calendar, another thing on my to-do list. And <laughs> my to-do list is growing pretty rapidly these days. Yeah. Yeah, I was just messing with my... Well, you were helping me adjust my calendar mm-hmm. and the ways to input certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's going to only increase as time goes on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I really want to chat with you about a few things uh, today. Now, tell me. There, there's a few things that are on my mind that... Um, are important to bring up. Um, well, for one, this is going to be episode one of season two, and you know, for our one or two listeners out there, this is going to be <laughs> turning over a new leaf. Mm-hmm. We're going to try to be a little bit more streamlined, but also, you know, just the same old Jonathan and David and having a good conversation. Yeah, the most important thing is that it's two friends having a conversation about things that we enjoy and things that hopefully bring us closer to God and to each other. You called me your friend, Jonathan. Yeah, I know. You know why? Why is that? Because you are. What? Okay. Um. So there's a few things I want to talk to you about. Um. The very first, I mean, I would like to check in and see how things are going with you. But the very first thing that's on my mind, and maybe we can start from there, is I think it's very important to say that both of us are in a very important year um, in our lives as Jesuits. But you specifically uh-huh. are in a very important month mm. in your life as a Jesuit. Week. And- Week even. So <laughs> I want to talk about that because, uh-huh. yeah. Okay. So what's going on in your life, man? In eight short days, I will be ordained to the transitional diaconate by the very Reverend Bishop Michael Barber, SJ. Oh my God. So what, so yeah, I know what that means. What does it mean for you to be ordained to the transitional diaconate? So the, tr- yeah, I guess the traditional diac the traditional the transitional diaconate is um one more step on the line on the way to priestly ordination. But it's not even just it's like not, it's not just a step to a hoop to jump through. That's true. It's it's its own thing. Actually, looking back over the hi- history of Christianity, the diaconate and the episcopacy are the two older forms of orders. Wow. Uh and the and the priesthood was kind of developed um, as an idea later on as a specific helper to the bishop in his ministry, sacramental ministry. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but you're in your case, you're going to be ordained a deacon next week, which is epic. And how many years has epic. it been since you entered? So I entered the Society of Jesus in August of 2008. And it is now, as we record... <laughs> October of 2018. Wow. That is 10 earth years since you entered. Literally 10 years. That's awesome, man. I, so I must say, I would like to get your sense about how you feel about everything moving forward, but I just want to tell you, uh, and maybe we can talk about this later, but I have had a pretty stressful couple of weeks. Um, oh yeah. Very stressful and we can talk about it. Uh, I might even call it desolating like a very desolating experience for the last couple of weeks which is okay which is okay because desolation will come as we're always often told um very desolating but i'm i think i'm on the other side of it um one of the things that brought me out of it was um well two things one of the two things was i was invited to begin the process of petitioning for my own ordination um and writing the letter which was really cool and i want to talk to you about that but the other thing is I was praying on Tuesday morning and on Tuesday morning, I just had an insight that you were going to be ordained a deacon <laughs> in the next week and a half. And yeah. it just brought me so much joy to know yeah. that this is your last weekend as a layperson and that you're going to be ordained a deacon soon. Mm-hmm. Um, probably when this episode goes up, you will already be a deacon. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. You think? Uh, oh, probably. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Ah, so I... So I should say a word to future me when I listen to this? Yeah, probably. What would you say? (laughs) Uh, 
keep going. Yeah, man. Give up. Yeah, man. Stay strong. Uh, so I was thinking about you on Tuesday, and I thought to myself, this guy's gonna be ordained a deacon soon. That is so awesome. He persevered. He's making it. He's doing it. He's doing the thing, man. And that's great. And it's brought me a lot of joy, and it like brought me a little bit out of that. That's some of that desolation of mm. like stress of school and anxiety. Um, just to like put the prize back in my focus, you know. Yeah, that's cool. You know, I often think about similar things, and I think that's a really great benefit that we have as Jesuits, that we're, you know, we we live in community, and even though you and I live uh, on opposite sides of the continent in two different countries, mm-hmm. um, that we can still uh, have that have that communal connection. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I literally just got an email notification about the announcement for your your guys' ordination. What? Did that come out? Yeah, it just came out. I saw out. the one for the West Coast. I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, I just that's got an email cool. right now. It's to say that we're still connected and you guys, your guys' yeah. ordination next week is still incredibly, you know, mm-hmm. important and effective. Um, so talk to me personally. This, I mean, this is the first thing I want to talk to you about just because it's the most important thing on my mind for for myself looking ahead, but also for you as my friend, uh, as you called me, um, which is great. <laughs> um, why? Why is this? What what is this? Talk to me through it. Talk me through it. What does this mean to you? Well, like I mentioned before, it is. I mean, even though it's not just a, a hoop to jump through, it is an initial step. Um, so even though we were, you know, called to minor ministries years ago, that's not something as concrete as effective as being ordained is. Mm-hmm. And so it really is like okay, this you know, 10 years coming, this is finally, finally happening. Uh, so there's an incredible amount of joy that I'm feeling and consolation. Uh, and it's funny, the only times that I get kind of frustrated and worked up is thinking about planning the liturgy itself. Ooh, why does that, why, uh, why does that bring you frustration? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a weird thing. And I might be, uh, I might just be being weird here. Um, but like, I just find worrying about which readings we're gonna have and what music we're gonna sing to be really kind of pointless mm. <laughs> because I'm not gonna remember what readings we had. I doubt anybody else is gonna remember what readings we had. I mean, think about how many ordinations you've been to and how little you remember. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and that's part of the reason. Spoiler alert: why there's a pre-formulated homily in the right. <laughs> Of ordination. Because there are certain, yeah, there are certain things that need to be said, but nobody's going to remember the homily. Mm. It's about the ordination of these men. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, so there's, so you've just experienced a little bit of the build up to that and just making a lot, like the bride, yeah. the bride and groom type of phenomenon of making all these infinite choices about a ceremony. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's, and it also, to me at least, it brings the focus on this particular event which it's not really about, right? I'm not being ordained so that I can have this beautiful liturgy next weekend. Uh, I'm being ordained so, I, so that I can serve, uh, so that I can serve. Mm-hmm. And so keeping the focus on this one thing, even though it's a joyous occasion and we're supposed to invite everybody we can and et cetera, et cetera, it's about what's going to happen after that. Right, right. I had the insight recently, I don't know if you've, you're kind of intimating in this direction, but I... I had the thought recently of like, you know, when I was younger, I wanted my ordination day to be like a huge affair, like a huge affair and very, yeah. very important. But the older I get and the longer I am in this life and the more integrated I am into the society, I find myself kind of thinking like, can someone just ordain me at daily mass? <laughs> and like, <laughs> yeah, well, that's kind of what I want. Like, instead of going to the cathedral, uh, you know, having hundreds of people involved with making things go smoothly, uh, just invite, which we're permitted to do, by the way, in canon law as a religious order, just invite the bishop to our house chapel and have a regular mass mm. where he does his thing. Mm. Yeah. You know, I think, I mean, as you're talking about it, it is very attractive to me to think to just invite the bishop over to the house and be like, hey, you know, can you just ordain our men? Uh, and because they need to get to work and they have you know, commitments that they want to go out and preach and go out and serve. Um, I mean, it's clear why we do it this way, um, the way that we do. 
uh, at least it's clear to me. I mean, as I think about it, like I'm imagining my friends listening to this and saying, well, actually, the ordination is not about you. Um, right. You know, so like right. thinking about, you know, your, you know, your siblings being there, you know, to celebrate with you, thinking about your niece watching you, you know, lay down on the ground and not understand, but having questions, but even all the people that you've experienced in your life as a Jesuit being there to celebrate you and to like, and to see the, like the reaping of the harvest in your own vocation, like it's significant for them. Um, you know what I mean? And I guess in that sense, a public well, ceremony matters more. Yeah, no, you know? I agree with you. I agree with you, but I think that's more important for the priestly ordination. Uh, so for example, very few of my family and friends are coming out to California uh, because it's really expensive to get out here. Mm. And it's in the, you know, it's in the middle of October. Uh, people have lives, people have jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, I didn't really promote it as something that something like I will for the one in uh, June, simply because it's not easy to get out here at that right. time. Right. And it's not, you know, it's, if if you have to choose between one or the other, well, I want you to come to New Orleans for the priestly uh, ordination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the one where where I agree with you. What you're talking about, what you're describing. Right. You see. You see this. Me. Yeah, and you see this guy who's gone over the course of these ten years, eleven years, and you can really you know see the fruit of that in the amount of people that show exactly. up. And and yeah, and exactly. I, now the thing with the diaconate one, I had the same sense of like inviting fewer people but i have found that like a lot of families just is gonna is they're gonna come and i can't oh yeah 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 <laughs> so i can't say i yeah, can't say no can't. um no 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 nor would i want to um but yeah no but i think yeah go ahead well the just the the distinction for me though is like because a lot of my family does would have to make that choice one or the other mm, yeah so if you can go to both yeah of course come on out it'll be a great party <laughs> um but if you can't, you know, this is not as big of a deal to put it mm -hmm. that way mm -hmm. uh, to miss. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I, I feel the same way. Um, I've been telling people because because my ordination to the diaconate is coming up pretty soon, too. And mm -hmm. I've been telling people it's like, hey, it's it's happening in May. And if you can come, great. But if you have to pick between this one and, you know, St. Louis 13 months later, then please don't come. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So by the way, I uh, I submitted my letter, man. Oh yeah, yeah. It was a heck of a it was a heck of an experience to write it. Um, mm -hmm. I say I shared it with you, and you had some good feedback. I just for me, it was very nice and kind of uneventful uh, to write it, just because you know a lot of that stuff is not shocking to me to be able to put into words. Yeah. Like this is what I want, and this is what I've wanted my whole life. Uh, well, and the letter to come to theology is very similar. It's a very similar kind of a very similar of a, of a request. Exactly. Yeah, and there's just something about it that I think was very, very like ordinary, non-exceptional, and I think that that's actually kind of cool. Like it was, yeah, it wasn't this big deal. It was just kind of nice to be like, you know, dear Father Provincial, I would like to be a priest, please. Uh, love <laughs> David. You know, like that's yeah, <laughs> that's the extent. almost as if we've been formed for this. <laughs> Yeah, no, true to, true. to work up to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good, man. Well, I'm looking forward to your ordination. I won't be there, but it's going to be awesome to think yeah. about you saying mass and I, or uh, preaching at mass, you know, in the <laughs> in the coming days. Yeah. Well, the fun, the really fun part is that one of our other classmates will be ordained to the priesthood a month later. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. You know, it was yeah. it was when he was ordained to the diaconate last year that a lot of it started to really hit me. Um mm -hmm. And it wasn't it wasn't his ordination. It was when he got up at mass on the next Tuesday to read the gospel. Oh uh, yeah, that's nice. when it really hit me. Yeah, he he uh he actually asked me to deacon his first mass <gasps> in Sacramento. Yeah, so I won't be preaching, but I'll be up at the altar serving with him. Is he going to preach? I presume so. Nice. Yeah. How do you feel about that tradition of not preaching your first mass? I don't like it. I'm going to preach. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to preach too. <laughs> I don't Yeah. I can't imagine my family going to my priestly ordination and then to my first mass and then mm -hmm. enjoying listening to some preach. random yeah, listening to some random guy <laughs> yeah. talk. Yeah. That they probably don't even know. 
Yeah, and my family is religious, but not everybody's Catholic. Um, right. So, yeah, so it's just different traditions. I don't think would understand what's going on. Like, why are we here yeah. to see you and <laughs> someone else is talking? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the other thing for me uh, uh, for my for next weekend is that I'm not going to preach the next day at mass. Okay. Yeah. Where most of the other guys will be. Um, but since, so at my, the parish that I'm working at, the practice is that you've got one preacher for the entire weekend. So mm. all four masses. Mm. And since I wouldn't be available to preach, um, the day of the ordination that Saturday, they gave it to somebody it just else. It made more sense. Yeah. It made more sense to put me on the schedule for the following week. Oh, okay. So, so your first time preaching at Sunday mass will be in two weekends. Yep. Great, yep. man. But presumably you're going to be able to read the gospel at daily mass or. Oh yeah. 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 I'll be, I'll be at the, uh, I'll be at mass as a deacon the next day. Right. I just right, won't right, be right. preaching. Nice. Nice. So, um, this had me thinking about kind of the second thing that's been on my mind, uh, recently that I wanted to chat with you a little bit about. Um, I, so as I was writing my letter, uh, to petition for orders, it was a very consoling experience, but I started to think about it and I was talking to the formation assistant about this the other day and I had to be honest and I said, you know what? I think that something really terrible has happened for, for, for a lot of us. And that is that like, are you? It's terrible, but it's beautiful is that like our year of ordination is tinged with a lot of scandal in the church mm-hmm. and like a lot of yeah. a lot of terrible things that priests have done and terrible things that bishops have done and, you know, a lot of really good things that the church continues to do, obviously. Um, but it just I re- started yeah. to realize that like it was affecting me spiritually where I was starting to feel a little bit desolate myself and like losing hope and like becoming very, I don't know, experiencing despair. Um, yeah, a little bit. Well, I think the loss of hope is the um, that's been for me at least. That's a common thing that I have to continually pray with. How yeah, do you, how do you keep hope? Yeah, well, and I started just thinking. Like that. Yeah, and I started thinking about it just in terms of our own ordination of like I'm I'm petitioning to join. Well, not to join, but to be accepted into priestly ministry and to be brought into priestly mm-hmm. ministry uh, in a time where it's like no one wants to talk about the priesthood in any sort of positive way. Um, yep. I don't know. Has that affected you at all as you approach diaconate? Because I, it affected me as I was writing my letter. Yeah, you know, it's funny in very small ways. Uh, well, in very big ways as well in my own prayer life. Um, fortunately, everybody, most everybody that I've been speaking with on a personal level, has been very supportive. You know, and certainly in the school, um, also in the parish, everybody's super excited to 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 go to the ordination and and see me up there at mass. Um, but yeah, there is sort of a, a, uh, a, a lingering fear. And even to the extent that I walked to mass last weekend mm-hmm. and I went to a different church. So I took a different way that I wasn't as familiar with. Mm-hmm. And I usually wear my clerics to mass, but on this walk in unknown territory, I was very aware that I didn't know what was going to happen. Mm. And so that level of fear was was very very present. Now nothing happened, right? And mm. I've hardly ever, even before this, I've hardly ever experienced any negative reactions to uh, wearing clerics or being a visible minister of the church. Um, so even though they're not likely to happen, that's still a great fear that I've been experiencing. That somehow you'll be. What's like, yeah, what's going to happen? Is somebody going to approach me and, you know, try to fight or just get into an argument? Who knows? You know, we 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 read all these stories on the news about, you know, people coming into sacristies and assaulting priests. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's it's scary. Yeah. So I. I haven't experienced the fear so acutely in terms of like going outside in clerics just because here I've been thinking about that for about a year now, just because there's not really much of a culture anyway of priests wearing, wearing blacks in the city of Toronto. Um, so when I do, I'm just sort of aware of it anyway, that I'm doing something that most people don't do. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I haven't experienced the fear so acutely as you have, but it's, it's just sort of interesting for me to think about like how maybe the question that I'd ask you is like how, I could imagine having this conversation with someone and 
them automatically turning it into like a comparison and contrasting with like, you know, Ignatius of Antioch uh, going mm -hmm. to the Colosseum or whatever, to the arena to be martyred and experiencing all of that kind of like, you know, antagonism from the world. But right. I, I don't, do you, exp I, I, I'm not sure if I, I, I would express what I've been experiencing in terms of that kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I, I well, what do I you think, think, I think, yeah, I think the thing that we can't, that we are able to do. And one of the things that I think is a really good thing is that we can be very angry along with everybody else who is very angry. Mm. You know, this isn't a case where we're trying to defend the actions of evil people. You know, we're trying to call out evil where it is, just like everybody else is. Mm. You know, I don't know if you've seen in um, in the news recently, which is a surprising thing for me to say, uh, a lot of dioceses. Why? Because you don't watch the, the news. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, a lot of dioceses around the country are having these full disclosure policies, huh. and they're working with with the federal government in order to just to be as transparent uh, as they can. And so I think, mm. to go back to my original point, I think part of the reason why um, why I still feel, why honestly, why I do still feel hope is that we're all angry and we're all pushing for something to change. Mm. If that wasn't happening, then I would be very upset and disillusioned uh, with the church, that this was just kind of we're doing the same thing and nothing's happening and so but do you it's see all for show do you see moves oh i guess the move to change of like the transparency with the, yeah, the exactly diocese. exactly now just the way yeah. that people are angry i think that's healthy sure because saint paul told us that you know it's okay have be angry but don't lead it let it lead to sin right okay so what i find curious about what you're saying though is i was thinking about these uh full disclosure agreements or something the like the full transparency about um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I like anyone who has been a perpetrator of sexual assault or been like, credible accusations are what's being released. So not people that have been accused. Okay, so found credible. I'm this is completely gut reaction. Um, I don't I don't know if I like this. Um, because I I do appreciate the transparency, and I clearly we've had some issues just because of the way in which we. Can I, like I talk to my mom about this sometimes and she gets a little frustrated about how sometimes as a church we can take exception to the way that normal proceedings happen with any sort of other organization. Um, yeah. I guess the reason I kind of maybe maybe you can help me understand this better. But like I have struggled with this disclosure thing because it, I think about maybe the priests and religious who have had credible accusations against them or maybe have even been convicted. But then have gone through the process of justice and reconciliation and punishment and whatever, and then again are being dragged into the lime, into the light uh, yeah. to be shown out again as someone who cannot yeah. be loved, someone who cannot be trusted, someone who cannot be you know, seen as a human being. And I get that I'm defending people who are you know, uh, criminals or people who are credibly abusers, but yeah. the human person should be defended, period. Um, oh, definitely. And so, like, I just wonder if, like, on the level of drawing, drawing, like, maybe, maybe this is, maybe I'm just being naive, but, like, you know, is there an example of, you know, a priest who 30 years ago uh, committed a crime, a terrible crime, and then, you know, maybe served time and, uh, justice was had and then reconciliation was had but somehow the name isn't widely known then this person's name gets widely expressed again and then now this person especially in such a like 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 a such a polarized time in the u.s yeah. are you now are you presuming that they are still in active ministry is is it i i guess i was just assuming like anybody who has ever been accused credibly whether they're in active ministry or not, anybody who's been in the books in the diocese that has been a credible accusation, there's going to be sort of a, a mass release of names. Like, I, yeah. I mean, I, the way I've, I was reading it is this is an attempt to show that no, in fact, the bishop isn't just moving 
the abuser from one place to to another. Hmm. You know what I mean? So it's not like, and to show that abusers are not. I mean, because even if even in um, secular, uh, in the secular world, sex offenders have to be registered, and they can't live so close to you know X, Y, and Z. Oh, I see. So, so help me understand. So, like maybe you've read more about this than I have. So the idea, like Careful. I just, saw, I just, I just, <laughs> I just saw like <laughs> you sent me an article from the Bishop of Oakland. Who yeah. was going is going to do this? And so, what names? Yeah, what names are being released? These are people who have been accused and found guilty and been tried, or these are people who ha- I don't understand what we're doing. Like a registered sex offender is somebody who's been accused and found. Maybe I don't even know what a registered sex offender is. Like, is that someone who's registered? Like, yeah, who's actually been found guilty in in a you know through mm, a judiciary so. process. I think so. Now I'm also, um, not, uh, 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 I'm also not a hundred percent on the technical aspect of this. Mm-hmm. So this is just, you know, we're kind of going beyond any sort of expertise here. Right. Uh, but that's the sense that I get that these are people with credible accusations and are no longer in active ministry. So, but aren't they on a registry already then of sex offenders? If they, yeah. if they have I been, think so. <laughs> so- well, so, so what are we and doing? We've had since 2002. <laughs> we've had lists of people um, who were accused already. I think that was part of um, the Dallas Accord or whatever it was called mm-hmm. in 2002. But I think the big thing now is that we've got to say, look, this is how many years later, and we're still not clear on what happened and who's doing what. And I think it's just an attempt to say, look, this is, we just need to be as clear as we can. This is not something that's to be expected or to be allowed. And, um, you know, and the biggest, to me, at least the biggest scandal of this past summer is not that of the abuse because they weren't bringing any new cases forward. They're just looking at the intense cover up and corruption in, within the hierarchy hmm. and so that to me at least that's what we're really getting at the bishop is saying look i'm not doing this i'm not sending these guys to different places because you're right they've they have already been on a register somewhere mm-hmm. and so i think this is just a way that we can um bring more light into the situation so that we can see clearly what's happening and what's going on yeah yeah I, i'm gonna need to but you're yeah. right but you're right i think it, it will have the adverse effect of of reopening some some wounds some old wounds right and i just i'm curious i, I need to read more about it and so granted i don't really understand what's happening either um it, it just it just struck me my first impression a little bit out of ignorance because i didn't read enough but it was just struck me a little bit as like this sounds really nice because we're talking transparency and that's always a good thing. Um, but it just struck me as sort of like a, a rehashing of old, like you're saying, like reopening of old runes or. Yeah. yeah. But sometimes that's necessary. You know, I just heard somebody the other day say, you know, it's going to be really great when we can get beyond this and kind of just gritting our teeth until that time comes. Hmm. It's like, okay, I understand that mentality, that sentiment. But, I mean, honestly, that's probably a big reason why this is coming back again right now. You know, had we spent enough time with it in 2002, you know, it probably wouldn't have continued. Hmm. Hmm. And so I think I think we may need to, you know, sit with it, to be uncomfortable, to live in that, um, in that holy Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'd like to look more into what what it because I saw. I mean, the bishops across Texas are also you know going to do the same thing. Yeah. Um, and so I trust I trust their judgment. I I just am very curious as to what what is achieved by this, other than uh, a show of change in the way that the episcopacy you know yeah. communicates and shows some of the internal processes that perhaps were opaque before. Um, yeah. 
I can see that helping. I just worry about further marginalization. That's what I'm. That's how I'm reading this. Yeah, and I just I just worry a little bit of, and and perhaps I should also say like I would worry about the further marginalization of men who have been you know accused and also found mm-hmm. you know healing and justice through the process and then old wounds there, but also victims of these crimes. How the bringing back the stories can be traumatic. Um, right. I don't know. I just find it kind of interesting, and I don't really know how to sift my way through it. But yeah, it's a different. It's a difficult thing, you know, because we're called to preach God's love mm. and forgiveness and mercy. Um. And at this point in our church, that's a difficult message because so many yeah. people are hurt. Yeah. Well, I think actually it puts it puts a finger on the nerve that has been divisive for the last 50 years in in the church itself, getting away from for a moment, getting away from the question of sexual abuse crisis and also the cover up of some of these crimes and the bad things that happen within the hierarchy in terms of relationships with seminarians and all that stuff. Getting away from that for a second, it's just sort of on a meta level, on a meta spiritual level. This this whole process of the tension between God's love and mercy and then the sort of like the rage and the anger and the wrath and all that kind of stuff. It seems like this is putting a finger on the nerve of the divide between faith and justice or justice and mercy mm. that we've been feeling, I think, in the church for the last 50 years is that there's this sort of dichotomy between the faith and the injustice or mercy and justice. And it seems like this event has kind of brought that to the fore of like, there are those who demand justice and there are those who demand mercy. And the ones who demand mercy are constantly told and yelled at for saying, how can you demand mercy if there's all these victims? The victims deserve justice. And then on the flip side, when you think about the people who demand justice, it's like, well, can you not show any mercy for people who have committed crimes and are seeking to reform their life? So there's kind of an interesting tension there of like, you know, those who seem to want to cry out for justice for victims tend to not have any mercy for criminals and those mm-hmm. who want to have you know what i mean and those who want to have yeah you know pope benedict often wrote about the very very deep connection between justice and charity and he wrote about it in a sense you know there was that line from uh, i think it was caritas and veritate where he said justice is giving to somebody what belongs to them uh but mercy or but Charity is giving to somebody what belongs to me. Hmm. So the very first steps is justice. Yeah, we need to take care of of our dues and get people what belongs to them. Um, but we have to take it a step further and start giving of ourselves, and that's love. That that can only be love. Hmm. Right, and that and that plays out for both perpetrator and victim of exactly exactly you know what does justice is about what someone deserves um and then charity is about love about what i want to give um of myself um yeah so when we speak of charity and god's mercy we're not saying that this person does not deserve to go to jail okay or whatever you know whatever it is right right and i and i and i do think that those these ideas can get conflated in a lot of discussions because of the way that we talk about God's forgiving mercy and love. Right. Just because you have been forgiven does not mean you have not done great harm. And that there needs to be reparation for harm done, right? Yeah. There needs to yeah. be, um, but on the flip side, for it's the like part, for the part of the, on the part of the person, you know, we can't, we can't just forget about penance. Um, that this is not, I can't, I can't come to a point where I will allow God's, this is the great power that we have, right? We can, we can block God's love off in our hearts. Uh, so if, if I don't do the work to reopen myself, well, then it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And people can tell me that I'm forgiven till I'm blue in the face, but in a lot of ways I won't be mm. because I won't accept it. Mm. Yeah. With a true conversion. Right. Now I can say that I've accepted it. And even on some level intellectually believe that. But deep down in my heart, you know, I mean, we all experience this when we're, when we've done wrong. Um, so, yeah. So, but like, I, I guess maybe a further piece of that is 
you know, from the point of view of victims who demand justice, some it seemed get really angry when people start talking about mercy for the for the perpetrators or like mm-hmm. allowing that person to admit they're wrong and find and find healing and reconciliation or something. It's like, right. where does that anger come from? Like a desire for justice, yeah. and then you know what I mean. And I, I mean, it gets I, primal, bro. I certainly don't I mean, want to blame. I don't want to blame the victim here, but I right, right, I wonder right. a little bit of like how where. That's- that's our mentality. Look at Cain and Abel. We want blood for blood. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is a very ugly situation, man. I don't <laughs> I, sh- I yeah. struggle with I struggle with it so much. Um Well, I think I mean, we should be struggling. It's a like you said, it's a it's ugly, it's difficult. We've been I mean, so you and I have been talking about this topic and bringing it up on the show since it started happening in in July or August or whenever it was. That maybe uh-huh. is on August when the first McCarrick stuff started coming out and all that. And then the grand jury report from Pennsylvania and then, you yeah. know, everything and all the accusations, the Vigano letter and all that. And it's yeah. just been swirling. And you and I have been mm-hmm. talking about talking about it and we've never come around to talking <laughs> about it. Um, yeah. And it's funny because when this all first started, you and I were both a little bit hesitant of like, uh, how can we talk about this? Mm-hmm. Because whatever, whatever. But it's like it's been over like two months <laughs> or something yeah. since this all started breaking. It's almost like to the point where it's not all that uncomfortable to be talking about it anymore because it's like this has been the reality of the church for the last two months and it's exhausting. Yeah. And it's like we got to talk th- about it. I th- Well, yeah. I mean, I think there's a good sense of reflection or a good period of reflection that has gone on. You know, in, in a lot of ways, I, I am glad that we didn't immediately you know, try to cover a breaking story or whatever, um, because that would all just be kind of gut reaction and yelling and to no good end. And I feel like recently, you know, well, just having more time to pray with it, um, we can actually speak about it in a way that's somewhat helpful Hmm. and not, and not, we're not going to be defensive. We're not going to, I'm not going to try to defend somebody like McCarrick or, uh, any abuser, you know, they've, for their actions, I'll defend them as any Christian should, <laughs> mm-hmm. as a human being, um, a broken human being. Uh, but I don't think that that would have been possible a couple of months ago. Right, right. Hmm. Good, yeah. Well, I mean, this is something we can keep talking about because I'm sure this is going to be something that's going to keep coming up. Well, I think it's an interesting turn of events as well, especially looking at what's going on right now in Rome, the Synod on the Youth. Uh, it's really difficult sometimes to to have faith in that in that process. What do you mean? That these bishops uh, are going to be able to actually do something. So, but you know, I I mean, I haven't gotten the sense that they've been talking. I mean, you've you've sent me a few videos that I have not watched. Um, <laughs> but I mean, are bishops talking about the crisis in the church or are they just... well no and it's not directly related so here's what i mean by that um precisely the fact that this is you know however many years later even beyond 2002 beyond the breaking of um of the abuse crisis uh then bishops have known about all of this and they've not done anything. They've done some things. Okay. I'm not going to be too hard, too down on that. Um, but the fact that these things keep coming back, it's like, well, what are we actually doing? What are these synods for? Mm. If we're just going to, is this just going to happen again, you know, in 10 years? Right, right. Where something else is going to come out where, you know, we knew about something and didn't do anything. Right, right. It. You know, so this reminds me of, uh, I went to a lecture um a couple years ago on uh the second vatican council and it was probably on the anniversary of maybe it was like the 40th anniversary or the 45th anniversary of the council i can't remember now um i was living in st louis and uh one of the guys who was presenting was sort of a theological advisor to some of the some of the sessions in the council and he was saying that some or he's like a historian who's tracked some of it anyway he was saying that there was a story of these two bishops that went to the Second Vatican Council, and the story you just the the what you're just saying reminds me of this story, um, that the two bishops 
were talking and they were both ideologically from different sides of the spectrum. And one was sort of like, all right, let's finish, you know, this conf- this council as fast as we can, like to get back to work and whatever, whatever. And the other guy, <laughs> the other guy responded and say, said, we're not here to just sprinkle holy water on the status quo. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that's good. And that has stuck with me since that conference. It's like mm. such a striking line. Um, you know, sprinkling holy water on the status quo. It's like, that's kind of, I mean, it's a little cynical <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to well, over, overplay it, but like, I don't know. That kind of cynical, sounds like what you're I saying. Think that's, yeah. I think that's where we are. You know, is this just, are we going to keep doing that? And that's what I, fe- that's a big fear of mine. Mm. I do have hope and I'm not entirely pessimistic about this whole thing. Um, but at my worst, yeah, that's what I, that's where I'm sitting. So I'll tell you, man, I had an experience of the sacrament of confession recently that I confessed a sin that I've never confessed before. Hmm. And I don't feel ashamed mentioning it on the air just because, you know, it's not overly, it's not overly personal. I mean, all of my sin is personal, but I'm okay sharing this one. Uh, I went to the confession, to the confessional because in my exam and it came out clearly that I think I was, <laughs> I was suffering the sin of despair. Like, mm. despair as a sin, as yeah. not having hope. Um, yeah, I just, it really came to me in my examination of like, I need to bring this to the Lord in the sacrament of reconciliation of like, God, I don't trust you right now yeah. uh, to pull us through. Like, for some reason, I have lost sight of your goodness in this. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, I thought that was kind of an interesting experience for myself that um, I took it to the sacrament. Yeah. And it was very healing, at least to, to be able to name that. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, one of the things that's been very helpful for me is in my preaching class, um, we were assigned uh, verses from the Old Testament to preach over for the very first assignment. And they were all, the professor did it all. Uh, None of us chose what we were to preach on. And I got the call of Samuel. Mm. And... I was struck at how relevant it was. So Eli and his sons, so Eli's sons, Hophnius and Phineas, mm-hmm. were womanizers. They were the priests in charge of uh, sacrifice in the in the what would become the temple. Uh, they were womanizers. They were actually basically stealing uh, the choice foods from the sacrifice. Um, just you know, as corrupt as as I guess could be at the time. And still pretty corrupt mm-hmm. in uh, in modern. Uh, anyway, uh, and the 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 passage opened up with, and the word of God was infrequent and unheard in those days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's beautiful, beautiful imagery. You know, Eli himself, because he didn't do anything about his sons. Um, it says that he was turning blind. So he was literally from his spiritual blindness was now affecting his physical Mm. blindness. Mm. Uh, And then the call happens while Samuel is asleep. And so, you know, in this little reflection that I gave, I was like, okay, yeah, we can blame the authorities, but look, we're not entirely innocent in this. You know, we can be asleep as well. Mm. Um, But there's this really brilliant line that I focused my entire homily on. That while Samuel was asleep, the lamp of the Lord was still lit. Mm. Even in the darkness, when he was asleep, Eli was blind, the lamp of the Lord was still lit. There's still hope in the darkness. Wow. Wow. Uh, and to the extent that Eli or Samuel kept coming back. So he thought he heard and he went, here I am, here I am. Uh, and finally, when he recognized it was the Lord. So it wasn't just one, oh, he got it wrong. So now we're done Mm -hmm. no it was a constant a continual process of growth Mm -hmm. development Mm -hmm. to be able to see that light that was already that was always present Mm -hmm. Uh, so i i bring that up because that's for me at least that's been a a great source of consolation in my prayer that yeah things times are dark people are people are blind people are asleep uh the word of the lord is infrequent but the lamp of the lord the light of the lord is still lit Mm. That's really beautiful. It remind, I mean, all I can think about while you were talking is uh, uh, 
the um the light of Elendir. Elendir? Mm. Elen- what is it? Elendil? Arendil. Yes. So the <laughs> it's, I don't remember. Uh <laughs> Yeah, but the light that Galadriel gives to yeah, Frodo yeah. Uh, after mm-hmm. he leaves Rivendell, not Rivendell, Lothlorien. Yep. Um, yeah, and you know she gives she gives the rope to Sam, she gives the lembus to the guys, uh, and she gives this light to Frodo. And I don't remember the line. I remember from the movie. I think you know uh, some, something about like in the darkness. You know, when, when, yeah. when it gets darkest, there's always a light yep. uh, that can yep. see you home, can see you through. Um, Mm-hmm. No, that's that's good. I appreciate that. It, it reminds me of another. <laughs> so one of the guys in the house has been really into the Green Lantern recently. <laughs> so oh yeah, he's been reading a ton of the Green nice. Lantern, which has been really epic. Um, and uh, whenever we see each other, we try to remember f- from mem- like from the top of our heads. Uh, the oath. The oath. <laughs> <laughs> can you do it off the top of your head, yeah, Cole? What do you got so far? Oh, I can't do I... it. Oh no, I, can you do it? How does it start? How does okay, it start? okay. Uh, in brightest day, darkest night. No, in brightest, brightest day, day. In blackest, blackest night. Night. No uh, evil, no shall, evil shall, shall escape my sight. Uh huh. This is where uh, I get stuck. <laughs> yeah. Through something, something, something. Evil will fear Green Lantern's light. <laughs> no, 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 no. So it's like okay. In, like in brightest day, in darkest, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Um. Something, 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 something. Uh, and then it's like, uh, beware my power, Green Lantern's yeah, light. Yeah, Green Lantern's might. No, beware might my... Or light? Light. Green Lantern's light. <laughs> the light okay. of the lantern. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, good. Well, there it is. Um, that's cool. And that's all about, well, the green is, is will, but there's a great idea with the... To really nerd out for a second in the Green Lantern mythology... You know the blue lanterns are the color of hope, mm. uh, and their and their power actually strengthens the will. Hope strengthens the will, and so anytime there's a blue lantern, the green lanterns become more powerful. Wow! And I think I was yeah I love that that idea that image of yeah that um, that hope strengthens the will. Yep, yep. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, I'm sure this is a rabbit hole that we probably don't need to go down. Um, but like. It reminds me again of Batman versus Superman. <laughs> so, <laughs> mm, you, know, you know, I love it. You know, is uh, you know, Hoperman, you know, Superman with the hope, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, yeah. and Batman who is just sheer will. I mean, like he is, mm-hmm. he in he's never characterized that way, but it's just it's it's you can smell it on him. Like this is yeah. a man. Of, yeah, yeah. He's a tactician. He's a detective. He's a man of pure blunt force trauma. Like he's a man of like will and determination. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's just really awesome how in that movie, at least, they are able to amplify each other's strengths by meeting each other in their weakness and how yep. the hope can fortify the will. Anyway, that's a rabbit hole that we don't need to go down. But Yeah, I actually brought up Batman versus Superman in class the other day. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it was epic. Yeah. yeah. People still don't like it, but whatever. Oh, of course. Of course they don't. It's the greatest. Oh, man. Uh, well, anyway, so I would like to continue talking to you about the abuse crisis in weeks to come. I mean, I do want you to know though, like it, it affected me, man. Like it seriously affected me in ways that I wasn't expecting in terms of like, yeah, like it put me, it wasn't the only thing that brought me into a space of, remember I was mentioning it earlier that I was kind of in desolation for the past couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that started some of it at the beginning of the semester just because it's freaking exhausting. Um, like just experiencing and we get people you know talking to us on both sides trying to be super defensive about the clergy and also dismissive of the clergy mm-hmm. so it's yeah we're stuck especially as jesuits as seminarians as people soon to be ordained we're kind of caught we're kind of caught in the in the crosshairs here right right you know, it, it fortunately it hasn't happened in a while but there for a while people were calling for the resignation of all bishops, like mm. across to sort of have this uh, this episcopal bankruptcy, <laughs> and I, you know, I will indulge those thoughts every now and then, but it's just not it's just not fair because most of the bishops active today had nothing to do with these cases um, from the seventies. 
And so to, to try to blame every priest, it's like, well, okay, we're going to be priests here in a little while. Are we all of a sudden going to be um, uh, responsible for all of the past sins of other priests? It's like, well, I don't, I don't think so. I, don't, I hope not. Yeah, yeah. But that leads to a very dark place. Right, right. Yeah, it does. You know, I was thinking about this also. We don't have to talk about this, but when a lot of the, the stuff was happening with Brett Kavanaugh in the news with oh, uh, yeah. with that whole thing, like without getting into that topic too much, it's like I, I just kept thinking a lot about people kept raising questions about due process, but then also questions about um, uh, credible uh, accusations and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And it just got me thinking a lot about in terms of the church too, in terms of, you know, is due process something that is... You know, is, is that if a part, does that a factor into the equation, especially when it comes to accusations? Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting as well to look at, um, I think this might be a part of that, but like, let's go even before McCarrick and before Pennsylvania. Let's go before all this in the church came out. You know, last year was all about the Hollywood sex scandal. Mm. And so this is just, has been our, are the air that we breathe for the last few years in both secular and church worlds. That's true. That's true. That's true. I mean, as this was going on, it was when Bill Cosby was sentenced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, good. Why don't we leave that there then? And we can bring this back up uh, as weeks develop because yeah, this is a, be... a never ending topic that I think can just, <laughs> just keep yes. going deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, I agree. Um. Well, good. Well, I think this might be a good place to stop for today, um, if that's okay with you. Um, I don't know, unless there yeah. was something else you wanted to chat about. Um, no, I think this is a good place to stop. Yeah, and let's save some some stuff for next time. Um, I'd like to hear about your classes, uh, about what you're taking this semester, because I know you're taking a, a class on Tolkien that you've been very excited about. Um, yeah, so Can I want to do that uh, now, or wait? Let's just wait. Let's wait uh, yeah, cool. for the next one. Um, yeah, I want you to know that I'm going to be praying for you this next week and I encourage everyone to Thanks, do so. Man. Um, yeah, I'm super excited for you, uh, to get ordained. Yeah. That's really awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah. You were not to bring back Batman vs Superman again, but you, uh, <laughs> you were a sign of hope to me, uh, you know, in, in my darkest hour, you know, thinking you, about, uh... thinking about your own ordination to the priesthood, man. Thanks, man. Cool, dude. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that I was doing when I was in India was, uh, literally everybody that I met, sisters and priests, I would say, I will be ordained to the diaconate on October 20. Please pray for me. Nice. Uh, and just trying to get, and I did this a little bit in, uh, when we were visiting Austin as well, seeing all the sisters. Um, just trying to get as many prayers because this is not something that I can do on my own. <laughs> no. I am not strong enough. No, that's true. So I appreciate it. Cool, man. All right. Well, we'll talk soon. Peace.